0: CHAPTER THIRTEEN OF FLOWING GOLD BY REX SPEECH. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. Ma Briscoe had always been known as a woman without guile, but of late she developed rare powers of dissimulation. She was, in fact, leading a double life. Neither her husband nor her daughter suspected the extent of her deception. To the patrons of the Burlington Notch Hotel, she was merely a drab, indistinct, washed-out old woman, unmarked, except by a choice of clashing colors and dress. To her family, she remained what she always had been. Nobody dreamed that she was in reality a bandit queen, the leader of a wild, unfettered band of mountaineers. But that is what she was, and worse at times. Yes, Ma had slipped the leash. She was a robber baroness, She dwelt in a rocky fastness, whatever that was, surrounded by a crew of outlaws as desperate as any that ever drew cutlass and dagger. She ruled them not only by native strength of character, but also by the aid of other forces, for she was on friendly terms with the more prominent wood sprites, fairies, and the like, and they brought her wisdom. Moreover, she had learned the language of dumb animals and she could talk to squirrels, beetles, porcupines, frogs. All this, as may be surmised, had come about as a result of Ma's early reading, a haphazard choice of storybooks, in which there were tales of treasure, trove, of pirates, of wronged maidens and gallant squires, romantic stories peculiarly designed to stir a cramped imagination like hers. It was from them as she had gained her ideas of the world, her notions of manners, even her love of the mountains. And that unquenchable desire to see them she had confided to Calvin Gray. He it was, by the way, who had selected the notch for these Texas nesters. It had proved a happy choice, for the hotel sat upon the top of the world, and beneath it lay outspread the whole green and purple vastness of the earth. The Briscoes were entranced, of course, and once they had established themselves here they never thought of moving, nor did it occur to them that there might be other mountains than these, other hotels as good as this. To them Burlington Notch became merely a colloquial name for paradise, and life in the great hotel itself was a beautiful dream. The place was famous the country over as a health resort and indeed it must have possessed miraculous curative powers otherwise gus Briscoe, strong and vigorous as he was could never have survived the shock of receiving his first week's bill it was with conflicting emotions that he divided the sum at the foot of the statement into seven parts and realized the daily ransom in which he and his family were held it had given him a feeling of tremendous importance And extreme insignificance. He spoke freely that night about the high cost of loafing, but Ma showed such dismay at the mere suggestion of leaving that he had resigned himself. And thereafter, the sight of his weekly bill invoked nothing more than a shudder and a prayer a prayer that none of his wells would go dry overnight. But lifelong habits of prudence are not easily broken. The Notch Hotel was altogether too rich for Gus Briscoe's blood. So he sought a more congenial environment. He found it in the village, in a livery stable, there amid familiar odors and surroundings both agreeable and economical. He spent most of his time, leaving Ma to amuse herself, and Allie to pursue the routine of studies laid down by her tutoress. Now Ma had not gone wild all at once, her atavism had been gradual, the result of her persistent explorations. She had never seen a real waterfall, for instance, and the first one proved so amazing that she was impelled to seek more, after which she became interested in caves, and before long her ramblings had taken her up every watercourse and into every ravine in the neighborhood. This sense of treading untrodden ground roused in Ma a venturesome spirit of independence, an unsuspected capacity for adventure, and when the wealth of her discoveries failed to awaken the interest in her family, she ceased reporting them and became more solitary than ever in her habits. Every morning she slipped out of the hotel, meandered through the grounds, apparently without purpose, but in reality, pursuing her circuitous route and taking sudden twistings and turnings, to throw pursuers off the scent. Ever deeper into the wilderness she penetrated, but with the sly caution of an old fox returning to its lair. She was always being followed by wicked people, such, for instance, as minions of the law, members of the Black Hand, foreign spies, gem domains, and detectives. Having baffled them all, she laughed scornfully, flung deceit to, to the winds, then hurried straight to the fastness, and there uttered her tribal call. At the sound, her gypsy band came bounding forth to meet her, and she gave them her royal hand to kiss, raising them graciously when they knelt, giving a kind word here or a sharp reprimand there. They were the fiercest gypsies in the world, and quarrelsome too. They were forever fighting among themselves, and crying curse you jack dalton take that and plunging swords into one another but they had good hearts and they loved ma and were devoted to her lost cause she could handle them where others would have failed having accepted their homage and heard the details of their latest raids against the enemy the false duke of dallas he whose treachery had made her what she was she assumed her throne and held formal court The throne was a low, flat rock beside a stream, and usually Ma removed her shoes and stockings and paddled her feet in the water while she gave audience to visiting potentates. Those enlarged joints never seemed to accommodate themselves wholly to the sort of shoes Allie made her wear. Court led out when Ma's feet had become rested, after which there were less formal affairs of state to settle. These out of the way it was time for the queen's recreations which took the form of singing dancing conversations with animals visits with the invisible fairy folk who lived in flowers and gave them their pretty smells ma never had any trouble putting in the whole day in some such manner as this evening came all too soon as a matter of fact then it was she that bade good-bye to her faithful subjects and prepared once more to fare forth and mingle in the cunning guise of an old woman with the followers of the false and lying duke of dallas but courage patience the day of reckoning was at hand when she would come into her own and the world would recognize her as the wronged but rightful princess pensacola thus would ma briscoe spend one morning another perhaps she would be an altogether different character but always she was young and beautiful and full of grace, and only when it came time to go did she assume the disguise of an aged, wrinkled, bent old woman. Sometimes she ran miles and miles at a stretch, darting, springing like a fawn, rushing through the soft green leaves, leaping rock and rill, her laughter echoing, her bare limbs flashing. Her gold hair streaming, her scanty silken draperies, whipped to shreds behind her by the very swiftness of her going. Oh, the ecstasy of that, the excitement. Of course Ma did not actually run. Neither did her bare limbs flash, being encased in flannels. And her hair was not gold. It was gray, what little there was of it. No, she ambled a bit, perhaps, where the grass was short and the ground smooth. Then she stood still, closed her eyes, and ran and leaped and swayed and darted with her arms. Anybody can do it. At other times she defied gravitation, a secret accomplishment all her own, which she manifested in this wise. She would begin to jump higher and higher, and the higher she jumped, the lighter she became, until finally she weighed no more than a thistle down, and the effort of leaping became a pure joy and an exhilaration. Having obtained this perfect state of buoyancy, she would set out upon wonderful journeys, springing lightly as far as it pleased her to spring, soaring gracefully over obstacles, and deriving a delirious pleasure from the sensation. One cannot appreciate the enjoyment to be had from this method of locomotion without trying it. And always when Ma came back to Earth and opened her eyes, there were the great smiling mountains, the clear clean waters foaming over the rocks, and underfoot was the cool green grass, not that hot hard doby clay she had always known. Trees too, beautiful whispering trees, with smooth leaves instead of burrs and spines and stickers. Nor was there the faintest choking smell of dust, no sand blowing up her nose and smarting her eyes. Ma briskow had never dreamed that the world was so clean she blessed god for making oil to lie in the rocks of the earth and she prayed that none of them hotel people would discover her retreat but of course somebody did discover it mr delamater the dancing instructor for one stumbled upon it while ma briskow was in the midst of one of her imaginary games and he reported his discovery to the day clerk what ails that old dame anyhow he inquired after recounting ma's peculiar behavior not a thing in the world except money the clerk declared doubtfully mr delamater shook his handsome auburn head people with good sense don't act like that she was doing an Isadora duncan when i saw her dancing if you care to call it that anyhow Her hair was hanging. She was flapping her arms and jiggling up and down. Delamater laughed at the memory. There's a big awkward bird, some sort of crane or buzzard of some kind that dances. I never saw one, but she reminded me of it, and she sang. Gee, it was fierce. Did she see you? Scarcely. I don't mind being alone with Allie. Delamater's teeth shone in a smile. Then, seeing his reflection in a convenient mirror, he studied it with complacent favor. He tried to smile again, and getting it, to his better satisfaction, concluded, don't mind it a bit, but a bosky dell with a mad woman is my idea of no place to be. Allie, the clerk lifted his brows. So, Allie, has it gone as far as that, dell? Oh, you know how it is, a lesson every day. "'Soft music, arm around the waist, a kind word. "'The girl is human. "'I'm probably different to anything that ever came into her young life. "'Look at my wardrobe. "'She's not so bad to take, either. "'And yet?' The immaculate speaker frowned. "'Father smells like a horse, and mother's a nut. "'Gee, it would take some coin to square that.' "'That's one thing they've got,' asserted the clerk. "'Nothing but.' "'Mr. Delamater.' Debate it further. Think of marrying the powerful Katrinka. I'll admit it has its points. If anything went wrong with the bankroll, Allie could make a good living for both of us. Suppose, for instance, the old Statue of Liberty slipped and fell. Allie could jump over to Bedloe's Island and take a turn at holding the torch. If they've got that coin you say they have, I think I'll have to see more of her. You won't see any more than you do. She's hitting on all four. What is she up to all day? I don't know. Working, studying, exercising. Rehearsing for the movies, I guess. She has worn that companion of hers down to a frazzle. She has her own masseuse in the bath department. She rides a horse three days a week. And every morning she takes a long walk. I've got it, Mr. Delamater. Slapped his thigh. Road work. She's getting ready to take on Dempsey." He laughed musically. "'If she marries me, her days of labor will be over. It will mean for her the dawn of a new life, provided, of course, those oil wells are what you say they are. Kidding aside, though, I don't dislike the girl, and I've got a notion to give her a chance.'" What the clerk said was true. Allie Briscoe was indeed in training, both physical and mental and the application, the energy she displayed, had surprised not only her parents, who could but dimly understand the necessity of self-culture, but also Mrs. Ring, the instructress. Mrs. Ring, a handsome, middle-aged woman, whose specialty was the finishing of wealthy young ladies, had been induced to accept this position, partly by reason of the attractive salary mentioned in Calvin Gray's telegram, and partly by reason of the fact that she needed a rest. She had met the Briscoes in Dallas only a short time before their departure for the North, and although that first interview had been a good deal of a shock to her, almost as much of a shock as if she had been asked to tutor the offspring of a pair of chimpanzees, nevertheless she had nerved herself to the necessary sacrifice of dignity. After all, Allegheny was only an overgrown child in need of advanced kindergarten training. And in the meantime, there was the prospect of a season at Burlington Notch. The latter was, in itself, a prospect alluring to one suffering from the wear and tear of a trying profession. After some hesitation, Mrs. Ring had accepted the position, feeling sure that it would rest her nerves but never had the good woman suffered such a disillusionment. Allie, she soon discovered, was anything but a child, or rather she was an amazing and contradictory combination of child and adult. What Mrs. Ring had taken to be mental apathy, inherent dullness, was in reality caution, diffidence, the shyness of some wild animal. Nor was that the most bewildering of the teacher's surprises. Allie possessed character and willpower, for some time she had accepted Mrs. Ring's tutorship without comment or question. Calvin Gray had recommended it, therefore she obeyed blindly. But one day, after they had become settled in the mountains, she came out with a forceful declaration. She knew full well her own shortcomings, so she declared, and she was not content to learn a few things day by day. She demanded intensified training. Education under forced draft. They took green country boys during the war. During the war. Don't drop your G's, my dear. During the war, and learned them. Taught them. Taught them to be soldiers in six months. Well, I'm strong as a horse, and I've got a brain, and I'm quick at pickin'. I mean, I pick things up quick. You pick them up quickly. Quickly is an adverb. Quick isn't. Allie's dark eyes grew darker. Imperiously she cried, All right, but let me say this my own way. It won't be right or elegant, but you'll understand. And that's what we got to have, first off, a good understanding. After I've said it, you can rub it down and curry it. I've been watching you like a hawk, Miss Ring, and you're just what he said you was. You've got everything I want, but I can't go slow. I gotta get it quick, quickly. You've been teaching me to read and talk and how to laugh and how to set, sit, but we've been playing. We got to work. Oh, I know I'm forgetting everything for a minute. Miss Ring, I've got to learn how to act pretty and talk pretty and look pretty, and i got to learn how quick. You are a fine-looking girl as it is, Allegheny. Oh, I guess I look dressed up, but I'm awkward, I'm stiff, as a hired hand, and I fall over my feet. Look at him biggest live things in the world without lungs i've got to get slim and graceful i'll teach you a setting-up routine if you wish although it is scarcely my line goodness knows you don't need physical culture but i do cried the girl very well riding is a smart accomplishment can you ride a horse pshaw i can carry a horse you'd look well in a habit and with baths massage Dancing and a little diet, I dare say you can reduce. I'll starve, Allie asserted fiercely, but that ain't half enough. You gotta give me more studying. I got calluses on my hands and I'm used to work. We'll get up at daylight. Good heavens, Miss Ring exclaimed faintly. You'll learn me how to do the sitting up things first off, then I'll do them alone. Ride me hard, Miss Ring. I'll remember. I'll work. You won't have to tell me twice, but I gotta make speed. I ain't got the time the other girls have. My dear child, all this cannot be done in a day, a week, a month. How long you allow it will take. The older woman shrugged. Years, perhaps. Years? Real culture, social accomplishments, are the results of generations of careful training. I'm not a miracle worker. But why this impatience? I got. I have. I have a reason. I can't take a generation. I'd be too late. Too late for what? But Allie refused to answer. We'll start in today, and we'll work double tower till one of us plays out. What do you say? At first, Mrs. Rink took this energetic declaration with some reserve. But before long she realized, with consternation, that Allie Briscoe was in deep earnest, and this was not a soft birth. Instead of obtaining a rest, she was being worked as never before. Allie was a thing of iron. She was indefatigable, and her thirst for knowledge was insatiate. It grew daily as she gained fuller understanding of her ignorance. There was a frantic eagerness to her efforts, almost pitiful. As time went on, she began to hate herself for her stupidity, and to blame her people for her condition. She was a harder taskmaster than her teacher. Most things she apprehended readily enough, but when she failed to learn, when mental or physical awkwardness halted progress, then she flew into a fury. Her temper appalled Mrs. Ring. At such times, Allie was more than disagreeable. Hate flamed in her eyes. She beat herself with her fists. She kicked the furniture she broke things. Once, she even butted her head against the wall, uttering language, meanwhile, that all but caused her companion to swoon. Mrs. Ring resigned after this final exhibition, but lacking the courage to face Allie in a mood like that, she went to Gus Briscoe. It is simply impossible to remain, she told him. Already, I'm a physical wreck, for I never get a moment's rest. The salary is attractive, but Allegheny is too much for me. She saps every ounce of vitality I have. She keeps me going every hour, and her terrific tempers are actually dangerous. She don't ever get mad at you, does she? Oh, no. She repents quickly enough, as a matter of fact. I'm afraid she is overdoing her studies, but there's no holding her back. You're kind of worked up, Miss Ring. Maybe I can make it pleasanter for you. "'In what way, may I ask?' "'Well, by paying you more.' "'You are generous. "'The salary we agreed upon isn't low.' "'Yes, ma'am. "'No, ma'am. "'I wouldn't feel right to accept more. "'Try it, ma'am, for a little while. "'Maybe it won't bother you so much "'after you get used to it. "'Allie likes you. "'And... I'm, "'I'm interested in her. "'She is progressing, too. "'In fact, I have never seen anyone learn more rapidly.' "'But she is so unusual. "'Still, perhaps, I am the one. "'Perhaps it is my duty, "'under the circumstances.' "'With this disposition to compromise, "'the father had little difficulty in dealing. "'So the daily routine was continued. "'Allie applied herself "'to the cultivation "'of the ordinary social niceties "'with the same zeal "'that she followed her studies "'and her physical exercises. "'Fortunately, These exercises afforded outlet for the impatience and the scorn she felt for herself. Otherwise, there would have been no living with her. As it was, she showed herself no mercy. Daylight found her stirring. Her Swedish drill she took with a vigor that fairly shook the floor, and having finished this, she donned sweater and boots and went for a swift walk over the hills. At this hour she had the roads to herself and was glad of it for she felt ridiculous at breakfast although she had a ravenous appetite she ate sparingly the day was spent in reading aloud in lessons in deportment voice modulation conversation and the like in learning how to enter and how to leave a room how to behave at a tea or a reception how to accept and how to make an introduction How to walk how to sit how to rise allie did sums in arithmetic she studied grammar and geography and penmanship in short she took an intensified common school course here was where her tutoress had trouble for when the girl's brain became weary or confused she relieved her baffled rage in her most natural way the while mrs ring stopped her ears and moaned it was a regimen that no ordinary woman could have endured, and it would have taxed the strength of an athlete. Late in the afternoon Allie went riding, and here was one accomplishment in which she required no coaching. Frequently she vented her spite upon her horse, and more than once she brought it home with its mouth bleeding and its flanks white with lather. She rode with magnificent recklessness that finally caused comment among the other guests. Allie was sitting alone in her room one evening, fagged out from a hard day. Some people were talking on the veranda outside her window, and she heard one say, "'That girl can look really stunning.' "'Exactly. I don't understand where she gets her looks, for her parents are impossible. Wouldn't you know what they were?' Allie needed no clear indication of who was under discussion, instinctive resentment, at the reference to her father and mother, was followed by amazement, delight, at the compliment to herself, the first she had ever received. She leaned forward, straining to hear more. What mattered how these contemptuous outsiders referred to her parents? They agreed that she was stunning, which was their way of saying that she was pretty. Nay, more, beautiful, perhaps. She's a glorious writer, the first speaker was saying. She passed me the other day, going like sin, with her face blazing and that big, lively chestnut running flat. The way she took that curve above the devil's slide brought my heart into my mouth. The breastless eavesdropper felt a hot wave of delight pour over her. Her very flesh seemed to ripple like the fur of a cat when it stroked. Oh, she's a picture, mounted. She seems to have complete confidence in herself and the strength of a giantess, too. But, my God, when she's on her feet, and have you heard her talk? Evidently the other speaker had, for there came the sound of low laughter, a sound that stabbed Allie Briscoe like a bayonet and left her white and furious. She sat motionless for a long time, and something told her that as long as she lived, she would never forget, never forgive that laughter. She was unusually silent and somber for the next three or four days. She went through her exercises without vim. At her studies, she was both stupid and sullen. When Mrs. Ring's patience was exhausted and her frayed nerves finally gave out, Allie rounded upon her with a violence unparalleled. Those previous exhibitions of temper were tame as compared with this one. The girl spat scorn and bitterness and hatred. She had become a volcano in active eruption. In a panic, Mrs. Ring sought out Gus Briscoe, and again resigned. By this time, however, the novelty of her resignation had largely worn off, for seldom did more than two weeks elapse, without a hysterical threat to quit. But this one required more than the usual amount of persuasion. And it was not without long and patient pleading, coupled with the periodical raise, that the father induced her to change her mind. Gus told himself somberly that the price of Allegheny's education was mounting so rapidly that it might be the part of economy to take Mrs. Ring in as a full partner in the Briscoe oil wells. He decided, after some consideration, to wire Calvin Gray. And to offer to pay his traveling expenses if he would come to Burlington Notch for a few days. End of chapter thirteen